Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Ryan. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Now, before we get started, we would like to let you know a few ways that you can become our heroes and help support our show. The first way is you can visit our website, and there you'll find our Amazon affiliate links. Mm -hmm. And you can really just support the show by using our links to buy things you are already going to buy anyway. Um, we have you know, we have links for things such as everything from you know, wet erase markers and play mats to dice and uh, the D&D rule books, DM screens. There's a lot of stuff on there. Um, just browse through, and if it's something that you were already planning on buying anyway... If you buy it with our Amazon affiliate links, it'll help us out. If spending money is not something that you're into right now or you don't have, you're like me and your pockets are Just dry your mom's and full credit of lint, don't, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, I love that you assume that everyone is living with their mother. <laughs> um, but a simpler thing is... You don't have to your credit card. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you, can, uh, you can follow our show on Facebook and Twitter. Make sure to give us a like and a share so that all your friends can find us. And then, of course, my personal favorite is just send us an email. Tell us what you like about the show, or if you're tell one of those people, tell like. us what you don't like so we can yeah. improve. Yeah, tell us what. Tell us, yeah, tell us either what we're doing right or what you think we need to improve upon, or you know, just say hi. Yeah, or send us your Let's own chance. unearth tips and trick. Yeah, maybe get featured in an episode. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Right. As with every episode, we have to thank Goblinstone for. Allowing all of Crit Nation an uh, opportunity to win an amazing prize. Every week we will draw one subscriber's name, and they will get a copy of the amazing five-star adventure, Banquet of the Damned. Goblinstone is a community project for D&D fans based out of the UK. They aim to be a place where you can team up with professionals to turn your ideas into high-quality products, and they want to give every single one of their fans a chance to have their work published. Make sure you head on over to goblinstone.com. Or you can find our fellowship link on our main page. Critacademy.com. Thank you. <laughs> so this week's winner is Troy.Zeisler. Congratulations, Troy. Um, hope you enjoy your new adventure. Let us know how you like it. Thanks for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your rolls are like a D&D <laughs> session without any snacks. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, they're campy, but you know you love it. <laughs> <laughs> On today's show, we have a question regarding reskinning from Redditor Turtle Shelf. <laughs> our, <laughs> our main topic is building a great mystery encounter. And of course, our final segment is Unearth Tips and Tricks. We will also be picking a winner for Lore Smith's Claws of Madness. Yes. So, before all that, our segment in the realm. Ryan, what's going on in your realm? Well, I went, I have a problem, and I make impulse decisions <laughs> on Amazon. And the other day, I was on Amazon just thinking, looking around, and I saw a butterfly knife trainer, which is basically a butterfly knife, just the blade is dull. And it was like 10 12 bucks so I, I bought it and i get that tomorrow so that's really that's exciting um one of my friends has one and i play with it all the time and it's actually like it's a lot of fun and it's it's not as hard as it looks and so i've been watching some videos on flipping and stuff and so i'm gonna 
try to start getting into that. I know it's kind of full-blown nerd, but... So, but it sounds fun. <laughs> it's definitely... Even even if you're just nerding out, could you imagine if somebody tried to, like, not, like rob you and you just bust this bad boy <laughs> out? start flipping around. Just, Come on. What you Come got? On, what you want, boy? I'll whip your ass. <laughs> Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> Jesus. What about you? Um... My wife and I, you know, every Thursday we go dancing, and we just finished up learning the salsa and the waltz. And I'll tell you what, it seems corny, but if you ever get an opportunity or a loved one you love spending time with, go learn to dance with them. It is a very romantic, and it brings you closer together. Even if you feel ridiculous doing it when you're learning it, it's worth it. Jesus, motherfucker. <laughs> I highly recommend it. We just finished up those, and I can't wait to start the new month and find out what we're going to learn uh, now. It's highly recommended. Why are you talking so like low? <laughs> because I'm just kind of thinking of it makes me feel good when I... Being all sultry. Yeah, it makes me, makes me feel good smooth. thinking about it. That's the way I roll. Baby. Like, are we an R&B radio station now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let me tell you, baby. I like to watch that sweat run down your back. <laughs> this is really awkward. <laughs> Much better. So uh, that's it within the realm. Moving on to our uh, next segment. Let's talk about blank. We hear from Redditor Turtle Shelf. What interesting characters have you made by reskinning the basic classes, Ryan? I com- one time I completely ripped off Thrall from World of Warcraft. Um, I played a half-orc, Way of the Elements monk, who was like... <laughs> it was a character I had to throw together in like a, a snap. So he was, that was know, two snaps. One snap. <laughs> and it was the exact backstory of Thrall, but you know, it's, it's kind of a di- an interesting concept because that kind of shaman idea doesn't really exist in D&D. So... Like, as a shaman, as a, quote, tri- shaman. like In current 5th edition. Yeah, yeah, in 5th, I should say in 5th edition. Yeah, I was going to say, um, yeah, they, yeah, it yeah. is in the D&D is such an over, uh, a vague term, yeah, I shouldn't yeah. say that. In 5th edition, um, you know, like the tribal kind of uh, shamanistic. Yeah, the closest thing I think you would get would be, like, the totem uh, yeah. barbarian. Yeah, oh, like a mixture of that and the, pa- the way of the four elements monk, right. I think. Because the way of the four elements monk mechanically is very similar to it. And the pet totem warrior is very. So did you change? So instead of using your fist, did you use weapons? Or because Thrall uses a, a mace, doesn't he? Yep. I had uh yeah I had like a my monk weapon was like this big hammer. Okay. And uh, it had like a big black like it, it was a exact ripoff. Um, I've also done cool. Well, can things. you give us an example of what how you reflavored some of the techniques? Well, a lot of the techniques were. I guess it's not much of a reskinning because a lot of the techniques were, you know, lightning bolt. Um, and I would, you know, shoot a lightning bolt out of my hand as a lightning bolt normally costs. I did, however, for um, uh, thunder wave. Anytime I would cast thunder wave, I would drop a totem. Oh, that's and cool. that totem would shoot out a thunder wave. Okay. Anytime I cast like, uh, we were playing a higher level, and so anytime I cast like any type of AOEs, like anything, it was a totem. Okay. That would like so if I if I cast a fireball instead of shooting a fireball a totem sprouted out of the ground and exploded in a big like oh fire that's thing. awesome I love that um so it it was really just it was it was just a lot of fun to play it like that well yeah um 
because it was kind of a new take on it. Instead mm-hmm. of, oh, I, you know, shoot this fireball out of my hand, a little, you know, piece of wood kind of peeks out of the ground a little bit, shoots up and just explodes into a massive, you know, blazing inferno. I like that. Um, and it is, yeah, it's, it's a really, it was a really fun concept, really fun way to play. This was like one of my like second or third ever characters I ever played. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a long time, well, not that long ago, but it was a while ago. Yeah. Very um, cool. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. Ivory skin my mage instead of having magic, they've had a gun. Um, so instead of my spells and compo- my components for my spells, they were cartridges that loaded into this big giant That's revolver cool. That's that cool. was like a two foot long cannon. <laughs> and what it was is he wanted to be a magic user so bad, but he didn't have the capacity for magic. So he took on, or at least he didn't think he had the capacity for magic. So he took on building th- those things, but he indirectly kind of was more of an artificer type build. But he would make mix all these chemicals and get these little reactions and put them into his little, uh, his big giant hand cannon. He had a little belt that went around him that had different color canisters, and each colored uh, uh, canister represented like the the they were most of them were red if they were evocation or blue if they were like illusion. So okay. he would like when he cast minor illusion, he'd pull his gun out, swivel it, load it with a blue thing, and then shoot it, and some sort of image would would effect would take place. That's cool. Like shooting walls into existence and stuff. And for all intents and purposes, he was a wizard. That's, right. He was a conjuring wizard. That's, Mechanically speaking, that's he what was he just did. A wizard, but yeah. instead of casting spells by waving his hands and everything, he shot a massive cannon. He was the only one that had one. It yeah. was something that he built, something that he designed, which actually was cool. The DM took later on and became a class. He called it the Gun Mage and made yeah. a class out of my character concept. Right. So those are a couple that we've done. I know in our careers, I've made oh, thousands of reskins. I love. Well, yeah. Reskin, in so. terms of like reskinning, just making something appear different. Every character I make, I, I do some sort of like I make them look different and make their actions look a little different as opposed to you know i run forward and i swing my axe yeah you know it's <laughs> yeah. yeah you know I, I i ran a bar or a fighter that used brass knuckles one time and like that was all he, he was like a roman gladiator with like kestis like that was all he used <laughs> and mechanically speaking i was just using like short swords because brass knuckles aren't a thing in this game it's you can reflavor anything you want without changing the mechanics uh and really get a lot of creativity out of your game yeah so we encourage that we love that we do it a lot i remember my ranger that was a dragoon you know shit like that so were you a ranger that didn't use a bow yeah i was a ranger that was a dragoon not a ranger <laughs> so the ranger that only uses a spear all right well i hope you liked our examples turtle shelf moving on to our main topic building a great mystery encounter so, not every count encounter has to be hack and slash, and we, we've mentioned this before, not every encounter has to be go in, kill the bad guy, get the loot. Do the do the meet with the noble who's trying to end a war or something right. like that. Those are pretty common ones. So, then, after that, the big question is, well, what do I do then? If I'm not going to do a combat encounter, how do I set up a, a non-combat encounter? Well, everyone's played Clue, right? Yeah. You know? Actually, fun fact... I had never played Clue until like three months ago. What'd you think of it? It was fun. So a real common uh, thing you see in movies is, you know, a mystery theme. Something bad happens and the whoever the protagonists are have to try to uncover what actually yeah. happened. So in this case, a mystery is an 
an event-based adventure that, you know, generally focuses on the heroes. And they're basically their efforts to solve an unknown event. Usually it's a murder. That's a pretty common one. Yeah, but it just, doesn't have to just be that. It could be a kidnapping or yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's like, like CSI Faerun. <laughs> that's good. Um, yeah, CSI Faerun. <laughs> I love that. Hash, hashtag trademark. <laughs> hashtag trademark. <laughs> um, so, do you even Twitter, bro? <laughs> so what? <laughs> that's got to be. Is that a shirt? So that's got to be a shirt somewhere. Probably. I'm sure it is. Um, so, how do you go about setting up a really good mystery encounter? What What do you need to really get the ball rolling, so to speak? Well, first, I would say, you know, what is the event that you're trying to get to the bottom of? Right. Like you said, a lot of the time, it's, it tends to be like a murder mystery type thing. Right. You know, like a very Scooby-Doo-esque plot line where, yeah, you know, something you? bad happened to someone and you have to figure Someone's out who did it, why they did it, where they did it, which room with which weapon. Right. Um, in the study with the candlestick. Now... Personally, I've only run a few of these, and they they can be tricky. Yeah. Um, so the first one you run may not go great. And this isn't necessarily something that a beginner DM is going to want to run. Right. Because it's, it's very role-play intensive. Which, as a beginning DM, unless you know some pe- unless you are a, like an actor by trade, um, as a beginning DM, you're probably going to have a, a a rather difficult time relying only on your role playing. Yeah. But the first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to decide what the crime was or what yes. the event is. And in this case, we'll work off of a murder since that's a pretty common one. So the very first thing you need is a villain. Yes. You need a a connection to a particular. Uh, victim you need how they're going to do it you need to know why they're going to do it where they're going to do it where they're going to do it what they're going to do it with Uh, i guess that fits into how well yeah that's still fine no that's fine (laughs) um you really need to settle on those once you have those really plucked out and you want to be as creative as you can with them let's say for instance we'll go the traditional route where your event takes place during a gala or a ball or some sort of festival a dinner there are dozens and dozens of ways to kill people, but get creative with it, you know? Yeah. Don't just have them get stabbed, you know? And if they're going to get beat to death with an item, put make it something in the room, something of consequence. Yeah. Um, if it's going to be, if location, you can do the traditional everyone's in the middle of a thing and the lights go out type of thing and then... <laughs> You hear a big scream, and then everyone comes out, and somebody's face is in the pudding, you know? <laughs> you can do something like that, or you can make it a little more subtle, where somebody stumbles across a body in the middle of a hallway, or in the lavatory, or... Yeah, or a storage room. Storage or... room, you know? It doesn't have to be the, the super obvious locations. Yeah, because you can either go one route where, you know your villain does it in a very obvious way and does it in, the, in front of everybody and wants everyone to see it or wants it to be hidden you know maybe right. he what maybe it, maybe this wasn't a premeditated thing maybe it's something that just kind of happened in the heat of a moment and you killed somebody so now i got now i got to hide this body right right and then your heroes happen, happen to <laughs> stumble across quote unquote blood streaked marks through going from one room to another yeah, there's like drag marks of blood on the floor like oh i wonder what this is but that's all going to stem from the first question is who is the villain why did they do it where did they do it what did they do it with and 
what led to it. Yeah. Um, those are pretty important questions, but once, that's actually the easy part. Yeah. <laughs> that's the easiest part. Once you got it, you can then start tying everything else in, including yeah. the next big thing, which is... The victim. Yes. You got to have a victim. Yeah. Um, and when you pick the victim, there has mm-hmm. to be some sort of relationship between the victim and the killer. Right. Because you don't want just somebody r- bumped into somebody and stabbed them. That's not really much of a uh, right. a reason of why the person did it. More or less, you're going to want something along the lines that me and this person have a relationship and we got into a heated debate because they owed me money and I stabbed them in the heat of the moment. There's more... There's more... Uh, right. More of a connection relationship there. Yeah, the first one... The first mystery... Like, mystery type encounter I ever ran, the... Uh, the victim was just like a house slave, but as the adventure went, they found out that the um, like the master of the house, his wife, was having an affair with the slave. Oh shit! And uh, well, not with that slave, with another slave, and that slave saw it. Oh, fuck! And out. so dead. You dunzo, the dunzo manifesto. So and uh, so yeah, build some kind of connection. It doesn't have to be you know. Oh, well, they were friends, and then they got in a fight, and he killed them. You know, you can make it a crime of, you know, like, like passion, quote-unquote, like like the one I ran. Right. You can make it, as, you know, if they're a kitchen worker, and the head of the kitchen's a real dingus, <laughs> and, you know, one day he, in a fit of rage, smacks him in the head with a frying pan and just beats him to death. <laughs> and it goes, it goes farther than that. When you build the connections, build, find a way to tie the heroes to the victim. Yeah. Whether it's somebody that they maybe it's a merchant that they've talked to repeatedly, maybe it's an informant that they have, maybe they're good friends with this count who just got murdered. Somehow tie them to it, and the closer you can tie it to them, the easier it is to make them look like they're the suspects. Right. And we could also make it, or you could also create an interesting uh, paradox if you you know tie them close to the villain, the killer. Ooh, I like that. And now maybe now no they're in a position where they have to trust their friends or trust the evidence in front of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, and that's super. That's super important because when the closer they are tied to it, the fingers can start being pointed at each other. Right. Which would make for an interesting story, and maybe as the DM, you work with your players maybe to one plan of the that. Players is the villain. Yeah, maybe you plan that. Maybe they're the mastermind behind it and paid somebody else, or maybe. They were hired by somebody else to take care of this job. Yeah. That's really easy to pull when you got an assassin in the group. Yeah. <laughs> Just maybe they took a side job nobody was aware of, and maybe they're trying to cover their tracks now from their own players, which could be quite interesting when they're trying to, oh, that doesn't mean nothing. That's just That just fell there. That's a coincidence. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but especially as a player, you could really kind of take control there and make sure you're always the ones making the checks. Oh, that's. Oh, I'm I, I make an inside check. <laughs> yeah. Like I want to see if I notice anything here. Make, I want I want to look over here at this bookcase that I know has nothing to do yeah. with it. Do I find anything? <laughs> um, so now that you've got really good victim, you've got the villain and the hows and the whys. Now you need suspects. You need. You need people to be implicated in the the murder or the assassination. Yeah. You know, it can be NPCs or, in this case, yeah, it can as be we players. Just mentioned heroes, yeah. You know, um, try. You really want to paint multiple people with a motive and a means and an opportunity 
so right. that you know it's not very cut and dry. Okay, well you didn't do it, you didn't do it, you didn't. It must have been you. Right. Blur the lines a little bit. You know, maybe these, maybe the victim owed this person money, but he was also you know having an affair with the, with this person. Right. And you know, there's they have all these ties that would give motive to all these different people. Yeah, and sometimes it's good to make it obvious that it's so obvious that it's one person. If you make it stand out that it's player A, so much so that that they maybe will automatically assume that without any evidence. Right. But if you can make it, okay, for instance, uh, let's say you blame your assassin and you have him unsheathe his blade and it's blood on it. That's pretty telling, but is it possible that somebody swapped his weapon with something else when he right. was choking back the sake or something? Right. You know, it's really easy to play an NPC and just make them seem really sus. Yeah. And they're not, and especially when they're not actually the person, and make right. them seem really nervous. And, and they do that in a lot of movies. If you when you watch TV, yeah. that you meet, you they sit down at this table and they start discussing with this person, and everything seems to scream it's this person. And you can have a lot of fun with that because now you can have that same reaction between a couple players and a couple right. NPCs. Where okay, I'm definitely sure one of these three people made it based on just what I'm, you know, talking to them. Yep. A really good way to kind of control it the situation um make identify a, a close circle of finite suspects so for instance with the example of the light going out you know it had to be somebody in the room at that time right so some sort of similar situation for instance if there's a murder that you hear a loud scream coming from down the hall you know the three people in this room at least from your perspective aren't responsible. Right. And then now you've got to convince other people, well, the three of us were all together. So from a player's perspective, if I'm with these other two people, I can say probably with confidence that they didn't do it. But once again, that's me going off of the situation that I was dealt, the hand that I was dealt, and where I was at. And that'll help each of the different players, especially if you put them in different spots, come up with their own... uh, their own take on who they think is innocent and who's not. Once again, we haven't even gotten to the clues yet. This is just speculation based on when it happened. Right. Right? And then another thing is to give NPCs and the the heroes some sort of secret. Mm, Something yeah, that yeah, can yeah. be point to uh, giving them a secret, something that they want to hide. So, for instance, maybe you've got the cleric who's not supposed to be drinking the wine and maybe he's had a few so he might lie about where he was at or what he was doing he's not guilty of the crime but the fact that he's caught in a lie makes him appear guilty yes and maybe the paladin was off with a woman yeah getting his freak on breaking his oaths doing whatever and because of that (laughs) because of that um he has to not lie about what he was doing right and even though he was in the kitchen. He says he's somewhere else, and then that doesn't jive with somebody else's story. So now you're starting to build up. Your suspects are really starting to have. You're having a good closed uh, circuit of suspects starting yeah. before you've even really gotten to the big clues. You know that's a player example, but for NPCs, you could you know make them lie about certain details that once again make them appear guilty. Like maybe one of them has had an affair or has a very shady business practices or some other vice or flaw that really drives the 
them to lie about what they were doing or where they were at. Yeah, because it, it creates confusion and um, more of a sense of like panic and realism. Because right. you could really Im- um, instill a like a time. You know, you're at this party. When this party ends and everyone leaves, the perpetrator's gone. Right. And you don't catch them. Um, and so you can kind of create a sense of urgency when people are giving them these half stories and they're going back on things they say because they're trying to hide other things that they don't want to come to light. And it can really create, you know, it can really make the encounter a lot more difficult for your players. Right. I do would like to point out that if you're a player and you're listening and you ever run a mystery, by God, keep notes. Yeah. Because you're going to need You should be taking notes anyway. Well, all the, yeah, you're right. But for <laughs> this one specifically, because you're going to get a lot, a couple clues, and you're going to want to be able to try to prove or disprove those clues, which leads us into our next segment, the clues. In our next area, clues, clues. You know, clues basically should be there to point who the villain is. Yeah. Simple as that. It, maybe it's a verbal uh, clue, such as a statement from different suspects and different uh, witnesses that don't quite jive. They don't quite line up. Everyone's slightly different. And you, you've got four people that say one thing and one person that says something else. Right. That person should then look guilty. But, right. may, but once again, maybe that person is lying because they were doing something they shouldn't be. Maybe not necessarily guilty, but you should have evidence to be the reason you're pointing to that person. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, one really fun thing you can do is you can create actual physical clues that you can hand out to your players at the table. Um, so, you know, if they find, uh, what? That's not where I was going with that, but that's awesome. Oh, no, yeah. Keep going. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> so, you know, if they find, um, like a half, you know, a message written on a torn piece of paper on the floor, maybe you can pull out, you know. You know, use a tea bag and stain a piece of paper and make it dark and crinkly and write it in blood. Yeah, write it in red ink and red food coloring with your and, finger. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just cut your finger. No, like like oh. you, not using blood, you idiot. Like paint your finger and scribble it as if yeah. it's written in blood. Yeah, doofus. And uh, <laughs> you can hand those out to your players and create, you know. A, a, a fun sense of realism. Right. Give them something to hold on to. Yeah. Um, or you can just say that they find a bloody note uh, that's yeah. written in hands. Yeah. It's, it's not at or. all. It's not at all required to do that. It's just because that, that does Those, put a lot more work onto the DM. If your DM does do stuff like that, you should next session go and thank them for the amount of effort that they do. Yeah. Because that shit is above and beyond what a lot of people do. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, in additional things that they might find cl- as far as clues, you might find a, a piece of jewelry or a piece of somebody's clothing or, you know, especially if you say you do a piece of man's clothing, like a like a noble, you find a noble handkerchief. Well, now who's missing a handkerchief? You right. I mean? Or did that person not bring a handkerchief and their handkerchief's the one that ended up there? Right. You know, so you want to really... As the DM, you want to make sure you write out exactly what these clues come from and how they tie to the story. Um, and then maybe, if it, maybe it's not a verbal communication or a physical item, but it's audible. You know, we made yeah. the little scream earlier, which is pretty common of like yeah. those murder mysteries. Ah! Light and light comes back on, and somebody that was yeah. probably a more of a sensual. Moment, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. Or you know, maybe not. Even if it is a, a physical clue, maybe not something that they can pick up and take with them, but a 
but a you know a door that's broken or a window that's shattered. Oh um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, and those all make noises too. Yeah. So those are other audible clues that somebody might hear. Though having a window that's knocked out and everyone hears that crash. Maybe it's something that they hear and don't think nothing of it. Maybe they hear it think it's the kitchen staff. Maybe uh, one of the kitchen staff finds it and they drop a a, a tray full of food or glass or yeah. whatever. You know, audible clues like that to indicate there's a problem or maybe somebody says, "You know, I did I did hear like a loud single crack of thunder." Maybe something like a, a pistol whip. or yeah. a whip or you know, and by leaving it vague like that, loud crack of thunder, you know, and then asking five different people what they think that noise was could be an interesting clue as well. Um, but it's important to also make sure that some of those clues connect to wrong people. Because that'll really, you want to really yeah. be able to throw off and confuse the players. Yeah, um, they find if they find a, a thread of clothing that was near the scene... Like the handkerchief. Yeah, yeah. It puts someone near that scene, but it doesn't put them at the there at the same time right. or with the weapon in their hand. Now, if you do something like that, you want to make sure you've got some sort of clue that kind of absolves them of any... Uh, wrongdoing. Wrongdoing. Yeah. Because um, otherwise, they're just going to keep chasing that person. So if you yeah. do put false leads, what are those called? Red herrings. If you yeah. put red herrings in there, make sure you've got something that absolves that so that the players aren't chasing their tails. Yep. Um, and it, it should be said, you know, this is, you do want it to be difficult and you want to make your players think, but also make it beatable because people in general will get really frustrated when they can't figure something out. They get bored too. Yeah. It, it, it gets boring and frustrating. So if you do as best you can to, even if they're not, they're having a hard time getting to like the big discovery, keep giving them little discoveries that they can keep finding and feel like they're making progress. Yes, and even if they overlook one that you've already given them, find a way to remind them of it, whether yeah. through an NPC or just telling them. Yeah. Say, yeah, uh, what happened to this such and such? What happened to that handkerchief? Maybe that's a key detail that they overlooked uh, the first time through. Right. And then I think the last and most important thing is is when you write out your clues put a timestamp of a sequence events, like a, a timeline together of when and where each clue is at at a particular time relative to the time of the murder. Yeah, this is more for you, so you can keep track of everything. Yes. But also, the players can use that as a, a lineup, too. So if you've got a timeline that says the handkerchief was dropped in the kitchen when Noble A was sleeping with Peasant B... Um, right. And you know that was before the murder, and they ask about that. You can interact through NPCs to discuss that. That hey, yeah, you know what? I did. I passed through there. I might have dropped it. It was at dawn. Right. And at that time, you know that people were going in and out of there, so there wasn't uh, the murder. At least wasn't there if it was in the kitchen at the time. It's important, and that's easier for you as the DM if you've got a timeline that kind of right. shows that yeah, event yeah, yeah. exactly. So the the f- final thought on running a, a an adventure for mystery is making sure that there's some sort of twist. How once the players do discover the big bad who's done this, is that the person that did it? Is it the person that hired them? And what do they reveal their big secret? Like the end of Scooby Doo, you know, I would have got away with it if it wasn't for you pesky kids and that dog or whatever he says. Right. You know, do they reveal meddling kids and that puppy? Do you allow the villain to go into this kind of monologue about why he did it? 
Yeah. You know, maybe he was being blackmailed and he was tired of paying out all this money, so he just stabbed the guy. You know, is he still a villain? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So maybe he does give a, a justification for the reason he did things. Right. And then the heroes have decided, do they care? Right. You know? Maybe the guy deserved to die. Yeah. Maybe he didn't. But having a little twist like that can add the cherry on the top of the Cool Whip, I guess, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Mystery encounters are, are really fun, but they're also... I think they should be you like use them wisely. Yeah, sparingly too. Yes, that that that's what I was trying to get at because they're really fun and they're really memorable. But the thing that makes them memorable is they're unique. Yes. If you just throw mystery encounter after mystery encounter after mystery encounter, it it, it then loses the mystery loses, machine. Yeah. It lo- <laughs> Come on, that was good. I hate you. <laughs> uh, that's okay. Yeah, if you just throw them, you know, throwing out a bunch of mystery encounters back after back after back, you're a mystery machine, and mm-hmm. th- those encounters lose their lose the thing that makes them special and makes them unique. They're pizzazz. Pizzazz. Love pizzazz. Yeah, so definitely try to introduce one into if you're running a campaign. I, I think they're really good. Um, they 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 work really well for campaigns, but they also really work really well for um, one shots. You know, you can absolutely you can hand out like personalities, and it's very like very much like Clue, where they get this personality and they have to like identify with this character and learn how to play this character. Yeah, um, and those are a lot of fun, especially if you give them a slip with uh, one secret and two pieces of information that they know about the murder. Yeah, and that they can make the rest up. Maybe it's the person that's guilty, and you write on there you can lie about whatever you want. Right. You know <laughs> that that we we. We ran a game of Clue for Relay for Life, and it was a lot like that where everyone got a ticket with basic information, but they had to go find all the people that were dressed up like the characters, Yeah, and they had to write down the clues that they had. Um, funny thing about this, I just realized this. In my Japanese class today, we did something like this. Really? Um, we all had... Uh, <laughs> we got these little personalities. I had to play two people. I had to play a 16-year-old girl and a 20-year-old man named... Kawanaka Bo- both are which sound like little girls. Kawanaka and Higashi. Kawanaka and, and Higashi. Yep, Higashi. Higashi. And uh and so she handed out these personalities and it had like my my name, my age, uh my gender, where I work, what I did on all these days, and then one of the people in the group was the detective, and they had to find. And so we had you were uh, the thing was it was an it was a speaking exercise. You were only allowed to speak Japanese. Ah. And so he had to find ask us questions and find out who did it. And it was it was so much fun because I I got really into it because I like the role play and so like when I was the sixteen year old girl I was like Atashi and like <laughs> like peace signs and being like a stereotypical like kawaii Japanese girl and it was really funny. Um, well, if anybody can pull off being a Japanese girl, it's you. Yeah, you're right. I actually, I wish I had two an extra ponytail holder with me because I was gonna put my hair in pigtails, but I only had one on me, so ponytail it was. Mm. But yeah. It was fun. That's a pure coincidence, by the way. Yeah, that was it's pure coincidence that my teacher had us do that today. Mm, I don't know how I didn't think about that like all day. That this is the episode we're recording today. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Uh, I think that's about it. One other thing I would like to point out that really can add to a mystery is having creepy ass music playing. Ooh. Have it low level, just enough to hear it. And having that really creepy Halloween type music, yeah, 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 that really adds to the ambiance. Like the Monster Mash, right? Yeah. Well, no, not the <laughs> Ghostbusters. No, not that. Anyway, so 
so that is our main topic. Building a mystery encounter. Yes. Thanks to our fellowship party member, Laura Smith, all of Crit Nation has a chance to win another wonderful prize each and every week. Each episode, we draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they win the best-selling adventure, The Claws of Madness. You know, I'm running this right now with a group. Are you? How's it's it going? Awesome. Oh, it? dude. It, it was funny. I was talking to Kurt because his group's running it, too. And the very first thing they did is tried to kill the guy in the middle of town. So <laughs> they, they come to town, and this guy's got tentacles in barnacle tentacles flailing out of his stomach like an alien. He's got barnacles on him. He's got gills on him, and he's gasping <laughs> for air. Yeah, that's the first thing we said. Um, but so one of the players runs up. He he picks him up, and so the tentacles on the guy's stomach start like slapping him in the face. <laughs> Oh my god, it's so hilarious. <laughs> Before so, we get back on track. Uh, um so I don't you know, I don't really watch anime or read manga. So we were uh, at Barnes and Noble yesterday with our Japanese group and we were looking at the manga and I was like, Okay, and I, I like I was like, you know, I picked one up. It's called Monster Musume. Never heard of it. Opened it, tentacle porn. Is it really? Yep. The very first book you <laughs> yeah, grabbed is I, I, I grabbed it and like I was like, Whoa and they were like, Oh, don't grab that one <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Laura Smith is a small indie team of creative artists who remember exploring the realms together with friends, finding incredible places, and meeting just colorful characters along the way. They set out to deliver an experience that sparks those everlasting impressions that push them to create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This bestseller adventure is one you're not going to want to miss. This week's winner is Captain Randomness 343. <laughs> congratulations captain randomness we hope you enjoy your adventure if you do shoot us an email and let you know what you thought about it and maybe any like creative takes you did on it and things you oh, changed yeah. up and or maybe a, a funny a event, funny like, uh, like, event, like you were just talking the about tentacles yeah. in the face being yeah. slapped in the face like a shapap <laughs> Told me he's got big giant wiener licking marks on his <laughs> face, suction carp little oh, balls, and mushroom stamp. <laughs> uh, God, we are vulgar. <laughs> we are. That's why it's explicit. Yeah. I try. I really didn't want it to be. Yeah. And I just realized that's not in our nature. That's not us. Like at episode two, I was like, "That is like." I mean, can you fucks. imagine if we didn't have this? Surprise, motherfucker! It wouldn't be as funny. No, it would. Um, our podcast would suck without that. Yeah. Well, it, then it sucked for like 12 episodes because yeah. we didn't. We just got that. <laughs> so moving on to our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment, our personal favorite segment, where we deliver reusable content for you to toss into any one of your games. Yes. So first we have our character concept of the podcast, The Chosen One. The idea behind The Chosen, whether it's an NPC or a player, is the character grew up in a sm- very small and secluded town, either in the mountains or somewhere in the boonies where not a lot of foot traffic ends up. Um, and every year, uh, this town makes a sacrifice to the de- to a specific deity that they worship. Yeah. This character was chosen to be that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. But before they could be sacrificed, they discovered that it was not a deity, but a demon who was taking advantage of that town among a few others so the character decided to run away so in this concept we actually have the demon ends up in a rage nobody else wants to sacrifice her life because she was chosen this person was chosen and because they're running the demon decides to tear loose and destroy the entire town right and then is chasing the chosen one 
for the entire for the campaign. Yeah. Um, it's really, this is really, uh, you've seen, you see, like, plays on this in shows and movies, like, if you've ever seen Supernatural, mm-hmm. there's an episode that's very similar to this, um, oh. where there's this, like, pagan god that this city, this small city is, like, they, uh, once a year, like, they'll have, like, random travelers that stop by, and once a year they'll sacrifice a random traveler to this god, it's a pagan god, and in return for that... Um, the god you know, protects them and gives them a bountiful harvest and right. everything like that. And so it's a really it's it's a cool trope because it immediately has a hook for that player, for right. that character. It immediately can tie them into the story because that demon or that pagan god or that you know that creature can appear at any moment. Right, and that is awesome because it then will then become the entire party's problem, yeah. not just that character's right. problem. Exactly. And so I, you don't yeah you don't have this problem where a lot of times when you try to. Uh, tie in a character's backstory. A lot of your your other party members just won't care. But if this giant, giant demon, demon wants to kill up, all of them, it just the, shows up when they're sitting yeah. in the tavern having a uh, things of ale. You know, they're then gonna have Surprise, a motherfucker. They're then gonna now have problem. And you know what? The character, the chosen, may not tell them. Yeah. Until it shows up, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I gotta talk to you guys about something." You know, <laughs> kind of as a, an afterthought. And maybe that's why they're on the run. That's why they're an adventure because adventurers are constantly on the move, and it just makes sense. And maybe they're becoming an adventure to become strong enough to overcome this thing. Yeah. You know, so it's definitely can be a lot of fun, and you can have it be an NPC too that joins the party, and this thing is after them. Uh, that's a little more common, but I think as a player character, it, you would get the most out of it. Because you can then have quest lines that are finding the weakness of this monster or this beast or demon or deity or what have you, whatever right. whatever you choose. So, Well, that is our character concept, the chosen one. Our monster variant of the podcast is the Dramera. So what a Dramera is, is a Chimera with three dragon heads. One red, one white, and one brass. Yeah, traditionally. Which is weird. Tradi- why? Because it's too chromatic and metallic. Doesn't matter. Uh, in the monster manual, uh, chimeras are formed by powerful demons that just come to the world for whatever. When they get summoned to the material plane, they just create shit by mixing them together. Doesn't mm. really matter oh, okay, okay. which what it is. Like the chimera in the book is a lion, a ram, and, and a, a dragon. Is it dragon? It okay. is a dragon. Uh, and that's actually the default attack that it has is fire breath. But what I did is I supplemented, or I replaced the two of the heads, the ram and the lion, and gave it two more dragon heads. So it's got uh, the red fire breath, which, you know, it exhales fire in a 15-foot cone, and each creature has to make a DC save or take 78 fire damage. Or they get the white head, which does ice breath. Uh, it's a ice blast on a 15-foot cone, each creature in the area must make a DC check of 13 con save or take 5d8 damage. Cold damage. Cold damage or half as much on a successful save. In addition, which is not part of the normal abilities, is the ground now becomes difficult terrain and requires deck saves to anybody that wanders in it. Mm. So as this icy breath is being cast throughout the, uh, the engagement... It's creating difficult and slippery yeah. terrain for the players. And falling and failing will result in you falling prone. Yes. Hmm. So that's, yeah, it creates a new type of strat, a new level of strategy. Yeah, for them to avoid too, because yeah. that's really if he's con- if the beast is constantly casting this, it's going to create a lot of ice, which is really going to mess up the melee players. 
a lot because range can keep falling back for quite some time and avoiding that stuff. But the melee, to be effective, have to be close. Right. So it becomes quite a challenge. So to make think matters worse, <laughs> the brass head has sleep breath because, <laughs> you know, that's just what they need to be doing, taking a nap when they're right. fighting a, yeah. a monster. The head exhales a sleep gas in a 15-foot cone. Each creature in the area must succeed a DC 13 con saving throw or fall unconscious for one minute. Of course, the effect does end if they take damage or if somebody uses their action to wake the person up. Yep. It is worth noting that these abilities pretty much go on cooldown and can only recharge on a 5 or 6. Another thing that uh, makes this character slightly different than others is each head has its own initiative. So instead of it, it's closer to like a, a monster with lair actions and stuff where it gets yeah. multiple, multiple rolls in the initiative. Right. And that makes it significantly more challenging. So it's important to note that if you put this up, I think the, if I'm not mistaken, the Chimera is either a challenge rating 6 or 7. With this stats, it's closer to an 8 or a 9. Yeah, it's definitely going to be higher. Because it's going to get 3 attacks. Now, it has all its normal attacks per the Chimera block. All the stats for the Chimera are the same. The only thing that's different is you get these two new abilities, the, the Ice Breath and the Sleep Breath. And then you get the attacks all in one turn. Right. So, but three attacks, one monster definitely is going to increase the difficulty. But that also makes the combat that much more exciting with the single monster as the big baddie. Right. Because it gets multiple attacks. Now, the ability needs to recharge, and they may not recharge at all. Or they may. They still get a multi-attack bite and, and claw, but... The idea is to create a very surprising encounter for your players and to give them something they probably haven't seen before. Yeah, because you, you definitely want that big boss, big bad guy to be memorable and be, be special. Right. And this is definitely a way to do that. I'll tell you what, you'll throw their asses off when that fire breath comes open up and then they all close in. Yeah. And then it opens its maw as they close in and just free, tries to freeze them or knock them un unconscious. So. Yeah. Yeah, the Dramira is definitely a fun one. I've only run it once, uh, and it didn't go well for my party. Um, <laughs> but it was a one-shot, so I didn't care if they died. Um, but it definitely was challenging, <laughs> and they were only level 6, so I definitely didn't scale it properly. Shame on me. But um, it's another option, and it's our monster variant of the day, the Dramira. Yes. Our encounter of the podcast is Raised. So what you have here is a village that is be under attack by some type of invasion or raiders or you know, bandits, pirates, um, yep. a neighboring army, some sort, and they're not—they don't have enough, you know, fighting men to stave stave it off, and they're going to fall. And so one of the elders of the village suggests kind of dabbling in some dark arts and raising an army of the undead. Yeah, from to, the local graveyard. Yeah, to, to, to defend the graveyard. But another elder's like, no, we can't do that. That's evil. If we succumb to that evil, you know, we're, we deserve to be destroyed, and we deserve this fate that we're going to have right. or receive. So this creates quite a um, choice for the party, because now they either have to recover this book of necromancy and help them summon an undead army to help defend this village or they have to fight a potentially losing battle um, as their place is being raided and maybe right. abandon the city altogether knowing that when they can't win right. or maybe they'll come up with something really creative to deal with it but you know the idea is to create a moral quandary between the players do they let these people step across the line into what's considered taboo territory Right. To defend their village, which is for a good cause, 
But we all know what happens when you taste the power of the dark side. <laughs> so what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, it's... Again, it's that kind of moral ambiguity that kind of is what's... Is it okay to do an evil act for the great, if it's for the greater good? Mm-hmm. Or is it is an evil act always evil? And so the players really have to decide that. So it really will make your players think. Right. Um, and, you know, some, like you said, some players may come up with a really creative way out of it. Yeah. And welcome and, that. Yeah, definitely welcome that. Don't don't snuff it. The other thing I think that from a DM standpoint, if you're going to run something like this, make sure that you have NPCs that respond to both sides of it. You have people that are for raising them to help defend the city because they don't want to be wiped out. But you got other people who don't want to see their loved one's bones you know, come back to life just to, to fight enemies, you know, they don't want to be disturbed. So play both angles, uh, Mm -hmm. during the decision making process, I guess, let them talk to people on both sides, let them make that decision, uh, and see how the game resolves. And if they come up with some way out of it, Hey, more power to them, but make sure you reward that creative. Don't snuff it out just because the encounter only calls for two options. Right. (laughs) So, that is our encounter of the podcast, Raised. Our magic item of the podcast is the hookshot. Somebody's playing Ocarina of Time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking Batman. <laughs> no, the hookshot from yeah. uh, Ocarina. I'm playing uh, on my 3DS right now. Well, your old 3DS. <laughs> so what this is, is it's a grappling hook. Um, you can throw it to a place of your choice. and um, It's magical. Yeah, within 50 feet of you. Oh, yeah, you don't. I guess you don't really throw it. You, you just command will it. it. Yeah, you <laughs> command it to go. And uh, it, can, it has a range of up to 50 feet of something that you can see, and it magically latches onto that object. So you don't have to worry about it, like, catching and getting a hold. It, 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 it's there. It's good. Flat surface, no um, problem. Yep. The hook and the rope itself can support up to 1,000 pounds for the hook will detach from the surface. Um, and as a bonus action, you can command the hook to detach. So if you're trying to get away from someone, you hook up, climb up, climb up, or hook up somewhere, climb up, and the person behind you starts climbing commanded to detach and they fall yep and because it's magical you can have it return to any location within your site without actually having to hold it right so dropping it down a ravine isn't a huge deal as long as you can still see it right so well, if it's a ravine you might not be able to see well, it well whatever it's as Just long dive. as you can still see it dive after it jump after it and hopefully you can summon it quick enough to come swinging like to fucking tarzan it and <laughs> like a spider-man the whip <laughs> um but yeah it's a real simple tool <laughs> it's a real simple tool that'll once again it's not really combat oriented but it'll give a little bit more utility to your game it's really useful if you don't have any mages who can like fly or any characters that can fly yeah. for helping getting around uh difficult terrain um yeah i, I really picture this as a, a stealth tool you know, you're trying to, right. yeah, you know, you can think about it as, oh, I can't reach that, or I can't, or I'm trying to get away from something, I'm trying to cross this ravine, but you can also use it, well, I can get into that building, but I can also go in that way, which is a lot stealthier, I'm just going to Less use likely this. to be yeah. caught. So. You know, I, I, I picture, you know, instead of going through the gate to the city, climb over the wall with this. Oh, and man. I really would be jumping from, like building to building and just swinging dude <laughs> i think how are you going to get over there to the market i'm going to web swing with my magic hook right <laughs> so that is our magic item of the podcast the hook shot our dm tip of the podcast is plan forward yes 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 when every time you're planning a session think of it like chess try to plan three sessions ahead right you know you want to i mean obviously you don't have to have everything sorted out but when you're planning this session 
think of where the end, this session is going to lead them mm-hmm. and already have that going in your head because who knows maybe next week you won't have time to set anything up right and when you're constantly thinking ahead into the next session or the next adventure uh it's easy to plant hooks in the current session when you know where you're going right what what you want your characters uh what you expect your characters to do now that doesn't always unfold the way we want but for the most part um when you have an expectation for the way you are going to lead them through Having a good idea of what's coming makes it easy to plant those seeds early on that point towards events that are going to occur in the next adventure. If your adventure currently is you're on the road traveling to a city. Um, you know, we did an adventure where he had, we actually, he actually, or Justin was DMing and he actually made the traveling an encounter, a couple of encounters actually, and there were actually things that were happening while we were traveling. But that whole time that you're traveling, you should be already planning the city out in your head, mm-hmm. already figuring out, you know, what are they going to do when they get to the city? What are they going to run into? What are the what NPCs are they going to find? You kind of want to get that stuff going in your head. You know, you don't need to have a novel and an adventure written out already, but you want you want a baseline for yourself so when you get there, you already have things kind of planned out. Yeah, a really good example is uh, in that example, mate, you're traveling with a couple of merchants and you befriend one. So now that they've unexpectedly befriend this NPC, maybe when he sets up shop in that new town when they get there, you have an encounter where maybe they get half off. And they he says, you know what? You guys have been so great. Why don't you come and come and see my wares? I've got good wares for you. You come take a peek. Sukabiet. Plan those things out as the game is unfolding and take notes and think about it because it's easy to generate your own plot lines based off the actions of the characters in the current of session, you know. And the same goes the other way, too. When you're making new adventures, make sure to look back at stuff you may have overlooked, NPCs that the players have interacted with, or groups of people, uh, social groups that they've encountered with or had dealings with, Mm -hmm. and find a way to tie them in. So if, for instance, you like to play rogues, so if you come into, during this caravan you travel, you meet, you know, a couple people who are part of this guild, and it should be my responsibility to make sure that I know that, okay, is that guild going to have some sort of presence in that next city? Right. And if so, will these be your contacts? Will they invite you? Will you ask them? You know, having those in the forefront of your mind when you're planning ahead is can make your game go a lot smoother and make it feel like it's very flushed out, well, very well flushed out, even if it's not. Yeah. So. That is our DM tip of the podcast, plan forward. Player tip of the podcast is don't, don't be, be a dick. dick. And you can avoid dickitude by using terrain to your advantage. How many games have we played where players are in the middle of a bar fight just duking it out? Nobody takes cover. Nobody throws yeah. any objects. Yeah, pick that up are, a chair and break it over someone's head. For an object! Yeah. <laughs> you know, grab a, grab a mug and smash it in someone's face. When... You're playing D&D. Battles don't take place in a bear room. They're not always on planes, you know. They're in briar-choked forests, boulder-strewn caverns, and steep cliff sides. You know, each battle has its own unique cover, concealment, and footing. You know, and use those to your advantage because if you're on a steep incline, hey, can I make an avalanche? You most certainly can try. Right. You know, if uh, you're in a bar and the somebody busts in and starts, you know shooting bows kick over a table and duck behind it right dive behind the bar yeah. don't just charge or into use combat. the table to charge them yeah you yeah. know ooh, that's a good one i like that i don't think i've seen anybody do that hide one. behind it and run and at smash them, into them yeah i like that you know 
use the objects that are in a room that the DM describes to you. Right. You know, if you're in a forest, use the trees as cover. Yeah. You know, if you're a ranger, maybe climb up into a tree to get a better vantage. Yeah. You know, or if you're trying to be stealthy, climb climb up into a tree and move through the trees. Try oh, to get the drop on somebody. Out. Like, yeah. literally, the drop on somebody. <laughs> see um, what you did there. And also, you know, be wary. Because if you are in a forest again, and you're a mage, and you cast Fireball... Only you can prevent forest fires. And you just failed. <laughs> um, so, you know, if there is difficult or dangerous terrain, you know, if there's a pool of acid, shove someone in it. Like, <laughs> why not? I agree. And, you know... Sloppy. <laughs> uh, and, you know, even higher than that, when you're fighting on that in that volcano with the enemies, you don't, maybe you don't need to try to take out every enemy at once. Rot them off the edge. Right. Watch them fall and tumble into lava. Or Cast telekinesis on them and pull them in. Or yeah. shockwave or thunderwave them all in. Or See, those are those are really good ways to deal with problems that are approached normally by stabbing stuff or blowing it up. Yeah. In D and D is a world with many many different uh, environments. And the, as the player, you should be constantly asking yourself, is there anything in this environment that I can use to kill the enemy better? Yeah. <laughs> or if you're in a stealth mission, you know, and the DM doesn't describe something, is there any boxes I can hide in? Uh, there is now. <laughs> yeah. You know, because you, little tip for you players, you may not know it, but sometimes the DM just makes shit up. Yeah. And so when you ask for something, you might get it. Yeah. But, you know, when there's things in your environment, use them to your advantage. Because sometimes you might say something that we never, we might not have thought about, but right. when you say it, eh, it makes sense that there would, that would be there. Right, you know? right. You know, you're in a storage crate room. Of course there are empty crates. Like, why wouldn't there be? Why didn't I think of that? Yes, there's an empty crate. No. Um, so, yeah, ask. Use the environment to your advantage. There's a lot of it. Whether you're in a tavern and there's ale everywhere, spill the ale and light it on fire. Yeah. Because nobody in my party's ever burned down a tavern before. <laughs> um, Looking at me. Yeah. Always start your question off as is there anything here I can use for leverage? Yep. So And that is our player tip of the podcast. Don't, Don't be, be a, a dick. dick. We got a thing going on. You can't be messing it up. And you can avoid dickitude by using terrain to your advantage. If you have any unearthed tips and tricks, concepts you'd like us to share or you'd like to share with us, send us an email. At critacademy at gmail.com. Yep. We'll definitely be sure to include your name. Or any uh, tag you want us to call you, and except sloppy seconds, it's already <laughs> taken. Um, yeah, we'll be we'll be sure to give you a shout out, and uh, you might make the show. Yeah, and that would make my job a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to let you guys know that we are going to be doing a special live stream on Twitch for our twentieth episode. So what that means is normally our show airs on Wednesdays, but because of this, we're going to be doing, we want to do a live recording. We want to make it fun and special. So this episode, instead of releasing on Wednesday, March 22nd, like it normally would, it's going to release on Saturday, March 25th. Um, we're going to be live recording it on twitch.tv slash crit academy at eight o'clock Eastern time. So that is, if you live on the East coast of the United States, I think, I think they got it. Yeah. <laughs> Topic is going to be. Player archetypes. Yeah, we're going to be discussing the different types of players. We're going to judge you. Yeah, it's going to be a little, it's going to be a fun, lighthearted one. But what we really want is we want you guys to come and watch and interact with us. Ask us questions. Yep, ask us questions. We'll, yeah. See how sexy we are. <laughs> we'll definitely, you know, stop the show, or not stop the show, but stop what we're talking about to answer your guys' questions. And yep. we'll pay it, we'll, we'll interact with you guys. We really want to, you know, speak with you 
back and forth while we're recording. I think it'll be a, we right. think it'll be a really fun opportunity. Yeah. So that is again Saturday, March twenty fifth at eight o'clock p.m. That will be airing on that day instead of the Wednesday twenty second. We will not have an episode released because we're fucking lazy. Yes. So yes, definitely join us on March twenty fifth at eight p.m. Eastern time. We hope you enjoyed your experience here at the Crit Academy. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help others find our show by leaving us a hopefully five-star review on iTunes or Lipson. Or make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Give us a like and a share. You can also subscribe to us so that we can help you on your future adventures. And just so you know, subscribing to our website is how you get entered in to win a wonderful prize from either Goblin Stone or Loresmith. So do it. Just! Do it! <laughs> Don't let your dreams become memes. <laughs> if you have any questions uh, you want answered or subjects you'd like us to discuss, please leave us feedback on Twitter and Facebook at Crit Academy, or you can email us at critacademy at gmail.com. Make sure to visit our website, critacademy.com, where you can support us, find our fellowship members, and that's also where you'll be able to find our Amazon affiliate links so that you can use those to buy tools that will enhance your game. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Ryan. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Heroes.